Daphne. Hi, I'm Joel. And this is Sunday School Cinema. Hooray! Uh, <laughs> we have a bit of an ordeal with this one here in front of us. We, we do. And we did. <laughs> the whole thing is an ordeal. So the movie yeah. that we are about to watch, you are probably not going to be able to find unless it is at, like, if you still have a local rental store, which is where we found it, um, or if maybe your library or something has it would be my only other thought. Uh, it is a documentary from 2007 called Unborn in the USA that is about the progress at the time of the anti-choice movement and specifically looking at it through the sort of access and lens to this group called Justice for All um, <clears throat> that uh, likes to go to college campuses and set up really graphic pictures of dead fetuses um, to upset people. And try yeah, to which them. anyone who's ever been to to any kind of like pro life rally has probably seen these. Yeah, uh, they're they're well, I guess I, I feel like they've maybe gone a little bit out of style now. I don't uh, know. When was the last time you were at a fucking pro life rally? <laughs> well, I mean, obviously, I haven't been to one in a long time, but I feel like you used to see them. You know, there was usually at least one or two that were like around. Yeah. You'd see them around in different places, and I haven't seen one in a long time now. But yeah, we had uh, <clears throat> we had settled on this movie, and I, I believe we announced it in the whatever the last episode was. We did. Uh, was it uh, the Steve Martin one? It's, this is another uh, another tidbit here is that it's been about two months since we recorded an episode. Yeah. Uh, just for scheduling reasons and things got busy we both got vaccinated and you know good see humans <laughs> it's been a while yeah um at any rate we uh we could not it, it is not available anywhere streaming for rent or anything and we thought we had found it on youtube i believe yeah but, it but wasn't. It's, it's like kind of on youtube but not really and we had decided we were going to skip it and do something else and then beth discovered that the uh the local uh, video rental place film is truth here in Bellingham Washington has it and uh, which is a testament to how thorough their collection is it's I true. think it's I would, amazing I, would <laughs> I, I mean yeah so and god it's it's one of those like you know you remember how like at blockbuster and stuff they always had the movies on the shelves face out so yes. that you could see the cover but you could only put like 10 movies per shelf right I mean, as someone who worked at Hollywood Video, that, that, uh, <laughs> I, in fact, right. did right. share this face out. <laughs> right. Uh, that is not the case at Film is Truth. They have everything spine outward, and they just pack shit in there. There are so many movies in there. Yep. And I cannot even begin to tell you how much of a fucking loser I felt like going into that place and coming out with. <laughs> <laughs> stupid fucking abortion documentary that probably had not been rented in the entire time it had been there. It's probably been sitting in that spot on the shelf for years. You should have rented something else. Anyway. Be like, uh, no, I promise. I, I like I like better things. This is... Right. Yeah, exactly. It's like there's so many things in there. And, that was, and it wasn't even just that that was the thing I ended up with. It was like I knew I was going in there looking for it and everything's alphabetized. So, like, I went right to... <laughs> <laughs> at any rate, as I was checking out, the guy at the register was like, hey, uh, this disc looks a little old, so let us know if it doesn't play correctly. 
And sure enough, it didn't play correctly. We were not able to watch like the last 15 minutes of the movie, I think. Yeah, the last 10 or 15 minutes. Oh. I mean, honestly, it played perfect until then, and then it was just... Yeah, like, nope. it looked totally fine until then, and then it just froze up on us, and we could not get it to... But uh, I think that's not- fine. <laughs> I just think it's going to, like, seriously impact our discussion. Honestly, like like I said, it's going to be virtually impossible for anyone else to see this. Um, Yeah. I I think the bulk of this episode is probably going to be spent talking about stuff we've been watching, because, like I said, it's been, like, two months. (laughs) For sure that. And also, this will be the first time that we've, I, I think, in my recollection of the episodes we've done, I think this is the first time that we are really, um going to have a chance to talk about what it's like to grow up inside pro-life movements um because yeah that came up a little bit with the the juno episode yeah episode, but not not uh not in this kind of detail yeah yeah so i mean you know we'll we'll, we'll talk about it well i honestly i don't think it's like mandated viewing or anything like it's sort of an interesting curiosity if you're into this exact sort of interesting curiosity um, yeah, I mean, they got I, I don't know anything about the filmmakers, uh, but they, they got they got an impressive level of access like they're they're not just like showing up at rallies and filming from the sidewalk. They're they're right in there with these groups as they're planning these things. And yeah, uh, so there's 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 interesting stuff from that perspective. But the opening not, does feel you know, a bit it's not like, going to win the Oscar. No, the opening did feel a bit like a like college it just was very dramatic. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Anyway, one of the directors for it is Stephen Fell, and it looks like the only other movie that he has directed was in 2018, and it's called Swimmer's Ear, A Journey to the Deaf Olympics. Um, okay. And then a guy named Will Thompson. I thought it was interesting that it was men who made this movie, and this is his only credit on it. <laughs> okay. So... I don't know who these men are. Um, <laughs> yeah. If you randomly run across this, um, you can feel free to reach out to us because we would definitely be curious. What did you look to see if either of them on, are on Twitter or anything? Like, are they journalists? Are they? This is all stuff that we probably should have done before we were recording. It didn't occur to me. Really to try, yeah, it didn't occur to me to try to look either of these people up either. Yeah. But uh, at any rate, it's. Uh, I mean, Will Thompson is not exactly like a. Yeah, that's a tough one to look up. Yeah. That's true. So, anyway, it's 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 an interesting documentary. I'm not saying like you know one shouldn't watch it. Just like don't you don't have to like freak out that it's unavailable everywhere. Although that's still super weird to me. It feels like the sort of thing that should be up for free on Amazon Prime or something. So I don't know if there's like some sort of rights issue, or I don't know. But it, it I feel like a lot of these. Um, like these types of small documentaries have been available on either um, on either like Amazon or something like that, or just on YouTube. And it's just, it's just not right. There's, there's enough, there's enough of an audience for this kind of stuff for documentary stuff these days that, you know, it's worth it for them to throw the filmmakers a few thousand bucks and just have it up on their service. Right. Right. So, so yeah, I don't know why it's not, I would be curious. Um, to know but anyway so um i did think like i said i did think it was interesting that the story was told by by two men i'm assuming white men could be wrong um but anyway so i guess 
I guess we can just kind of start with where the movie started. I, I don't know. Uh, yeah, it starts in like a like a training session, basically, for this this group of of uh, college age students who are at a focus on the family. They are at the Focus on the Family or, Institute, which the Focus on the Family Institute, right. I don't know if they are still doing it, but they did do it for a really long time. Um, and <clears throat> they would essentially get like, um, you, I, I believe they said it was 88, it was 88 kids. I mean, you know, kids, college, college kids. And I think they said they got like a few credits a few college credits right. to, like come to this for like, you know, I don't know, six months, nine months, whatever. Um, and take courses on biblical worldview. Uh, and one of the things that they do is that this group justice for all who um, was coming to the Colorado, um, to the uh, state college in Colorado. Uh, and all 88 members of the Institute were required to go help them out on campus. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we first start, we start with, we start with these kids, um, in a room that was somehow simultaneously giving me, like, usually this does not happen, but somehow this was simultaneously giving me like flashbacks of like college classes for sure. And also Sunday school, which is like not, yeah. <laughs> it was not- a weird room they were in. And it was like, yeah, it was basically like a training session on how to talk people out of supporting abortion. Right. Uh, uh, they started out by using a, a video of right. It was a, a video of this this young woman who was being harassed by a group of anti-abortion people. Uh, she had. And, I suspect she approached them, but I mean, regardless, it's not an excuse. She approached them and was like, you know, this is bullshit. Like I was raped and had an abortion when she when she was young. It was like 12 or 13 or something. Yeah, I can't remember exactly. But, yeah. uh, but it was very young. And then you have this group of mostly men, white men, gathered around her trying to like argue <laughs> trying to like argue that she murdered that she murdered a baby after she got <laughs> raped. Right. So the point of this exercise was to demonstrate how that is not an effective method of of reaching people on this issue. Right. He was uh, the, which is true. But yeah, he was like, you know, no, it takes I can't remember what he says, 10 minutes, 12 minutes, something he counted uh, before anyone says to her, like, I'm so sorry this happened to you. Right. <sighs> And this is one of those things where it's like, well, they're not, they're not sorry, is is the problem. They don't, they don't care, and you don't actually care if they care. You're trying right. to train people in how to perform empathy that will convince people to listen to you. Right. This is this is this is one of those interesting things in in stuff like this. It's a thing that I have seen a lot personally, and you see it several times in this. That they're constantly giving up. They're they're giving the game away by talking about how you know we can't approach people in these ways. We can't you know because they'll see through that. Right. 
like it's 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 never because oh maybe we should have like genuine compassionate feelings for these people and that and that's why we can't pretend these different things it's always we can't do it because they'll see through that and it won't be effective well i mean i think it really speaks to how it speaks to how people within the evangelical church view relationships in general it, it is it is entirely transactional in so many ways, particularly mm-hmm. with people who are outside of the church that like, you know, your goal, like, <clears throat> and we will talk about this more with other movies, but this was something that I know got under, got under my skin, got under Joel's skin when we were younger. It was this idea that like, we were constantly pressured, like, no, you want to get to know people. You want to, you want to care about people genuinely. But the problem is that it's not possible to care about people genuinely when your goal always is to make sure that they don't go to hell and that you get to convert them. Right. (laughs) Yeah. The, the end of that sentence, the end of the, you need to care about people genuinely is so that they will listen to your side of things. Right. That's not what genuine care is. Exactly. And this is something that they can't, there is not a reconciliation for it. There is not a way to have, well, there is not a way to have relationships that are genuine, meaningful, caring relationships while also only having those relate like like creating forming maintaining those relationships with the intention of proselytizing to someone that is not what a relationship is and it is not it is not possible if they take their own beliefs seriously for them to not want to do that because they believe if they don't then these people will be tortured forever so i don't feel like are they giving the game away yes kind of but they don't see it as a game even though it absolutely is. And like, this is like part of the frustrating thing is it's that thing where like words don't mean the same thing, right? Like loving someone isn't the same, like doesn't mean the same thing. It doesn't necessarily, like it means theoretically wanting what's best for them, but it means already knowing what is best for them and just finding a way to maneuver them into that space. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's just, there is not, is not genuine care there. And even if you, if you really care about someone like there's, there's a, there's a tension, at least there was for me, like to really care about people who were not Christians, who were not whatever. And like to care about them as they were and understand that I was essentially telling them that like, they weren't good enough. (laughs) Yeah. Like it's just, it's, it's, and when this gets to the subject of abortion, which is, I think, probably everyone knows um, evangelicals pet project and has been for a long time. And is this because evangelicals care more about babies than, than other things? Not really. It's just like a really dramatic space to rally around is my opinion. Yeah. I mean, they, that, that took over as the number one issue of right wing evangelicals after they lost the, the war on integration, uh, racial integration. I mean, and I think, uh, I mean, like, when I like in the time that I was like Roe v. Wade passed in 1970 something, and let's see, I'm find it. I'm sure it said in the documentary we just watched. But I, don't I mean, remember. okay, we watched it a week ago, 1973. Okay. <laughs> so 11 years before I was born, and you know, 
when Roe v. Wade passed, I have looked at like the Christianity Today magazines and stuff from the month that Roe v. Wade passed. And it is not like we have been, like history keeps being sort of reset, particularly by the right. Um, although I'm sure the right would say particularly by the left. But we have the receipts like this was not like a unanimous thing. There were plenty of pastors. There were plenty of people who were like, this is a good thing. And we fought for this. And then there were others who were like, this is absolutely not a good thing. And so like what you are seeing in 2021, in which they have finally successfully gotten a case to the court to challenge to challenge the legitimacy of Roe v. Wade, is that like this has been a process, a very deliberate, committed process to get to this point. And I think I think even watching this, it's clear. Like, even, like, this is 2007. This is, like, less than 15 years ago. And I think even here, you can see how the tactics, the, you know, the common things, got the, like, they have evolved, like, since then. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I guess we can, uh, <clears throat> we should maybe talk a little bit about our own, uh, our own experiences with this stuff. Yeah. Um, I've never witnessed one of these uh, campus display things that that uh, they focused a lot, particularly the first half of the documentary is basically all about that. But we used to go when we were kids. Our mother would take us, not every year, but we went, I don't know, maybe five or six times. At least, yeah. To the, uh, the March the March for Life event in Olympia, Washington, which is, they talk about March for Life in this thing. It's a, an annual thing that happens all over the country. Um, yeah, it happens at the capitals so, of the states, and you march on the right. roads and stuff. So we went several times to the the one in Olympia, um, and there were always there were always people there with these banners. Oh I yeah. I don't know if they were from I don't know if they were from this group. They might have been, um, but they, that was always part of it was having these big you know like billboard sized uh, images of aborted fetuses and just really like gruesome, ugly pictures right um what do you remember about being and and although we did not go to the march for life every year what we did do every year was the the life chain or whatever it is right that was the thing that they did outside yeah another thing that happened all over the country but they 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 did one outside of our church every year where you you get all the people together with with pro-life signs and you stand out along the road for an hour or whatever yeah, they usually uh, do it on the anniversary of Roe v. Wade, I believe. Um, I always hated doing that one. I liked going to the March for Life, but I hated doing the chain thing. Well, the March it's for Life was kind of spring. exciting, right? Like, yeah. I mean, you had it was like all these people. We were at the Capitol. We got to like right. It was the I mean, it was the first kind of like protest rally thing I ever went to. I've been yeah. to several now, but <laughs> at the time, that was my first uh, absolutely first exposure were, to it. There were people protesting us. You know, there were always right. there were always pro-choice people. Um, right, which I always remember being uh, very curious about all those people. But I tried to convince mom to let me go talk to them once when I was yeah. in high school, and she would not let me do that. Uh, we had one of them. I remember once we were there with uh, with our friend Nick, me and and uh, and Jared, our brother, and and our friend Nick, and uh, we weren't with. Uh, we were just kind of off by ourselves in the crowd, whatever. And uh, kind of as it was wrapping up, a guy from the 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 counter protesters came over and started asking us uh i think he he was asking us what we thought about the death penalty and trying to like draw out the the hypocrisy of supporting the death penalty and and opposing abortion mm-hmm. um 
And I remember he was being like, he was being very nice about it and, you know, just kind of trying to talk through some stuff. And this woman came over and started yelling at him because he was trying to, he was, he was trying to indoctrinate the children. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the irony. It was, yeah, we were all kind of like, no, he was, he was fine. Like, there's no issue here, but she was pissed about it. Uh, it wasn't someone we knew or anything. It was right. this woman who happened to be standing nearby, came over and started yelling at this dude. Um, <laughs> but I think that was the only interaction I ever actually had with any of the, but I have a few, like, I, I remember, uh, I remember a group uh, that was, I think it was, I think they were called midwives for choice. Yep. Mom was there furious doing a chant. And I, yeah, I remember mom being just enraged by that. She just couldn't believe it. I, I heard from mom more than once that, like, that no woman genuinely supports abortion. It's only men who do because they're trying to get away from the consequences of their actions. But there's a lot of women who have been kind of, like, bullied into thinking right. they support abortion. I remember hearing that a lot. Yeah. Do you ever wonder if mom <laughs> had an abortion? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. She never fessed up, but, like... I don't know. She's just, she's real intense about that. It, it, it's possible. I don't know, but there's a lot we don't know about her mother's life before. Yeah. Um, but Wendy, like, I, I think I read, and I don't remember who wrote this, but I I read once in a piece that someone wrote. It might have been Samantha Fields, or I don't know, but uh, in a piece that someone wrote about how they were at abortion, like anti-abortion rallies, like long before they understood how a baby was made. Like they knew what abortion was long before they understood mm-hmm. what sex was. And I think about that all the time. I, I use that sometimes because I think that's, that's 100% true. It, it is hard to like, you know, we remember going to these marches, you know, five or six times or whatever throughout our lives. Um, but like mom was taking me when I was born, like they went to the first to the first March after I was born uh, with me because they like it when you take babies. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. And she took me apparently the first couple of years of my life. Um, and then she said she actually stopped taking me because of those signs. She right. They yeah, she didn't that. like those. She didn't uh, like them. Well, yeah, it's complicated. But, she didn't like yeah, them at she those didn't events. Like looking at them, but she didn't like them at those events. But her story about how she became pro-life is that she was pro-choice. Our mother didn't get married until she was almost 30. She spent a lot of her 20s in a variety of situations that we don't really know or understand fully because she doesn't talk about them. Um, but she had boyfriends and guys she was li- at least one or two guys she lived with and various things. And she apparently was pro-choice. So this would have been in like the seven, like this would have been in that 10 year span, right? Like 1973 is when Roe v. Wade passed. I was born in 1984. Mom was 31. So like mm-hmm. she was like 20 when Roe v. Wade passed and was apparently pro-choice. I don't know what that meant to her, but she was, that's what she says. And she says that at some point it came up in a conversation with grandma who was super like mad at her about it. And that grandma made her go to a presentation on what abortion really does at the church and that they showed these very gruesome pictures. And mom attributed that with making her pro-life. So I think she thought that they had a place and that the place was not where children could see them, but that it was important. I don't know. Well, I mean, I think, I don't know, maybe this is an ungenerous reading, but... I think 
she found them very unpleasant and she didn't necessarily object to their existence. She just didn't want to feel bad because she was looking at unpleasant things. So she was okay with other people feeling bad by looking at unpleasant things because, you know, the people who, who believe the bad things deserve to feel bad. So she was okay with that, but she didn't want to have to feel bad. That's my guess. I mean, that's not impossible. And especially like that would still, that would still match up with her story yeah. of, you know, that she did believe the bad thing at the time. Right. I mean, this is the same woman who once told me that the thing that one of the things she regretted most in her life was going to an anti-Vietnam march. (laughs) 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 So, like, you know, to be clear, like, we all rewrite our history based on like, that's just a thing humans do. It's not inherently a terrible thing. It's kind of an interesting thing to study and how we reformat things as we as our opinions and views change and stuff. Um, but it does seem that our mother has consistently reformatted her world to be smaller than it was before, just for like decades now, <laughs> yeah. uh, which is unfortunate for everyone involved. But so what do you remember? Like, like if you're thinking of whatever you remember of yourself as a kid or as a teenager, like, what do you remember like having actual feelings about abortion yourself? Like what do you remember thinking about this thing? How important did this feel to you? I think I mean we had we've talked about this some before that we had like I we were I think it's fair to say even among like evangelical kids we were like unusually politically minded, I think. Yes, I always say that mom we- and dad were conservative Christians in that order. That it was yeah. <laughs> more about that. And to be clear, I do think that there are groupings who were much more so than us. Um, oh, yeah. But we were above the average. I we think. were above the average, I think. I Like now at this point, being on Twitter and knowing a lot of people who were much more involved in like the, the pushback and stuff to Roe v. Wade as they were in sort of their formative years. Like we our family was political in that we talked like dad listened to Rush Limbaugh every day. Like we listened yeah, to Michael Medved. Our family, our family didn't get involved in the sense right. of actually doing anything. We just knew about things. It's almost <laughs> worse. It's like, <laughs> Oh yeah. <laughs> like they didn't even have like the conviction to actually do the thing. We just yeah. talked about it a lot. Yeah. That's uh, that that'll, that'll tie into to something we'll get to later in this movie. But <laughs> Um, it, it's, so yeah, it wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't like we were, uh, you know, we, we weren't behind the scenes anywhere at this thing. We weren't helping organize anything. We, you know, we just went and, uh, and, you know, as far as like what I, what I believed when I was younger, I mean, I, you know, I believed everything that I was told for, Oh, sure. When, you know, when I was, which is when that's generally how it goes. I remember, um, I remember getting into an argument with mom once when I was probably like 12 or 13, uh, because I told her that I thought the whole strategy of like standing outside Planned Parenthood yelling at people who were going in was a bad idea. I also, uh, thought I was a little older. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she didn't, uh, didn't appreciate that. Um, but I, I feel like I was always kind of uncomfortable with the, the sort of culture of the, the pro-life movement. Yes. Um, well, and we had a, 
Uh, oh, sorry. I could never put my finger on it as a kid, but yeah, no. And we yeah. had sort of a a moment, and I can't remember if I I kind of think this was after I had left home, left home after I was booted to the curb, but was still coming over when it was Life Chain Sunday, and I was there, and Mom just like expected that we would all go do this thing, and I was like, no, no, I, I'm I'm not doing that. And then you guys said that you weren't doing <laughs> I don't remember this. Yeah. It was like right before. It was definitely one of those things where mom like fully blamed me for this. Mm. But like where I, and I felt like my like my reasoning was solid. Like I at that point, to be clear, I was anti-choice for a really long time, at least passively, um, even if I also was not comfortable with a lot of like this sort of weird subculture. But like. I was just like, I don't, I don't think this is, I don't think this is beneficial. I don't think this is helping anyone. I don't see what you think. Like, I have heard your arguments for the last 19 years or whatever it's been that this like reminds people that we haven't gone away. That this is important. You know, you don't, you just sit and pray or whatever while people either honk and support or yell at you and flip you off. Um, and I have heard that. And I don't think that this is something that is that is doing a positive thing. I think that you are probably hurting people. And I think, like, at best, I think it's neutral. And at worst, I think it's harmful. Mm-hmm. And she she was fucking furious. Um, but it was right before they had to leave. <laughs> <laughs> so, so they left. Um, and I'm like I said, I'm pretty sure it was after I was no longer living there. And you argued too. I remember distinctly you sort of chiming in and like agreeing with me. I'm sure she thought it was brainwashing you, but um, mm-hmm. and I, it wasn't like a planned thing in my memory. I don't think I had realized that life chain was that day. Like, I think I was probably just over there doing my laundry or something. Um, right. And that she, and then she was just like, here, here we go. We're going to the thing. And I was like, Oh no, no, I'm, <laughs> I'm not doing that. Uh, <laughs> and then you didn't either. So like I, I definitely have a distinct memory of that, and I, I was, I was really uncomfortable with the approach. I was really uncomfortable with the idea of yelling outside of abortion clinics. Um, I was when when I was when I was like seventeen, and I was I was dating this severely abusive person, um, and we had sex. And like I just remember, like I, I think about this to some extent because I think about like it would have been less. Like, I I assume it would have felt less, like, critically important to your life in high school. Like, it was, like, a thing that you, you know, you believe. It was on the checklist of, like, things that we believed. But, like, you you didn't have to worry. High up on the list. Like, it was clearly one. Of course. But, But, yeah, it it wasn't something that ever crossed. Yeah, it never crossed with my personal experience in any way i was not having sex at 17 so right so (laughs) and i had started fucking around much younger than that but i officially lost my virginity in the heteronormative version of that term um when i was 17 and and i i was like a big part of my sex education the majority of my sex education (laughs) in high school was a combination of experience um and also Loveline and Dr. Drew. 
the classics. Yeah. Which is which is really upsetting now because Drew is honestly like such a fucking piece of shit. Uh, right. But I genuinely like credit like most of his sex advice was you know I mean it was medically accurate more or less at least time certainly more than anything else I was getting. Right. Um, and so it was it was genuinely kind of a lifesaver for me when I was a kid. But I think that that speaks less to Drew's good nature and more to my lack of other options but uh, <laughs> but like so so one of the things that came up a lot and this is this is another thing that that the the goalposts have moved significantly like we have started seeing more of a thing where the pro-life mo- movement are are like just against birth control in general or mm-hmm. are, which was not true when we were kids that was that was not the case well, it wasn't. The, yeah, I mean, I mean, you always had Catholics, but it was not like the like, and and quiverful folks. But it was not like the overarching umbrella. It, it was it was it was factions. It was like small factions. Yeah, I mean, I but I think pretty much everything that I heard growing up was that uh, was the you know the pill was bad. I heard that a lot growing up. Uh, I mean, condoms were also bad, but only because they were ineffective, not because I mean to hear well, they were ineffective hear, for STIs. Right. Well, I don't know. To hear an evangelical Christian talk about condoms, you would think that like that they had all been shot with a shotgun before being put on or <laughs> something. True. Like they're That's just true. useless. They compare but, uh, they compare the AIDS virus and a condom to like microbes going through a fishing net or something like right. that. I have no, it's, <laughs> the same, it's the same bullshit that you're hearing about COVID and masks. It's yes. literally the exact it's the same thing. <laughs> at, any, at any rate. Uh but I, I definitely remember hearing as a kid that any kind of like hormonal birth control or whatever, uh, that it's all just that it's it's essentially causing abortions in like a less dramatic way. Interesting, because I don't remember that. What I remember is I specifically asked mom and dad um, at some point, what um, like, did they use birth control when they got together? Because I was born a year. I was born two years. They got pregnant a year after they got married and I was born almost two years later. Well, over two years later. So it was over a year, I guess. Um, and then, you know, there were, there was uh, solidly, you know, it's not a lot. There were 16 months between, um, between things uh, because uh, they lost a baby between me and Jared. And then Jared and Joel are 16 months apart. Um, so it, it seemed very clearly planned. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and so I asked them. I asked them if they did. And I don't know what kind of birth control they use. But Dad said yes. Yes, they did. And that you had to be careful about what kind of birth control you use. I suspect you're right in that they did use condoms. Um, <laughs> did, uh, <laughs> did I ever tell you about the uh, the the overheard phone conversation that I, I had once with Dad when uh, no. that was sort of a <laughs> so, – I can't remember – I think he might have been talking to Dave, his friend Dave, or maybe he was talking to one of his brothers. Those are the only people he talks to, so it's a good chance. At, at any rate, whoever it was that he was talking to, it, I guess it could have been either of them, because it might have been his brother Paul who has had a son who was... At any rate, whoever it was that he was talking to had a son who had recently gotten married, and they were talking about that. And I didn't... I, like, I was... It was... We had... It was... The the family computer at the time was in the living room and I was on the computer and dad was sitting at the other side of the room talking on the phone <laughs> and I had my headphones on. So I think he thought I couldn't hear him, but I wasn't listening to anything. I just had them on. <laughs> and uh, and like I had my back to him and stuff. So he's he's over there having this conversation and I, I didn't I wasn't really paying attention. So I didn't hear what the lead up to this was, but they started they were talking about 
like, you know, is this, are they going to have kids? You know, this couple who just got married. Sure. And I heard him say something along the lines of, well, they better not rely on that. That was how we ended up with at least one of ours. Really? <laughs> yeah. One of us was an accident? I, I mean, I assume it was me being the youngest, but maybe not, I guess. Uh, I just know that yeah. never even crossed my mind because, again, like, if Daniel had lived, we would all have been 16 months apart. Right. So I just assumed that they, although it would make sense. Mom had a tough pregnancy with Jared and it, and obviously had lost a baby it, before that. It was tougher right. with you. She had a tough time with you, too, didn't she? Wasn't she on bed rest with all three of us? I don't think she was on bed rest with me. I think it was just you two. It was three C-sections, but I think she was on bed rest with, with the two of you. Because I, I think she was on bed rest with the two of you because of Daniel. Oh, yeah. It was a high-risk no. pregnancy. Whatever. I didn't hear right. I obviously, you know, I've never asked him about this, but I did. This is one little tidbit that I overheard. Oh, that is fascinating. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. I always just assumed they use condoms because what I remember dad saying at the time was like, you have to be careful what you use because some types of birth control um, cause abortion. Mm. Um, he did not proceed to tell me what types those were, which seems dumb if you think that is the case. I mean, I'm sure he, if you'd asked him, he probably wouldn't have been able to give you an answer. I mean, <laughs> you think dad knows the different types of hormonal birth control? Like, Well, I mean, part of what I'm curious about is does he think that all hormonal birth control causes abortion or like would he yeah. have just said the pill or are there like yeah. specific ones right. that are yeah. problem? anyway but of course part of this is that the concept of the morning after pill which um, you know. right I, I remember that becoming a thing when I was a kid like or becoming a prominent feature of the debate right like, I think, um, so like, I mean, the, I mean, the morning after pill is functionally just a double dose of birth control. It's not like, it, it's not, and it doesn't, if you're fat, then the dosage is wrong and it probably doesn't work as well. Um, like there's, there's all sorts of things, but I do remember this becoming more of a thing. And as someone who was listening to Loveline, they consist, this came up a lot. People will call and ask if the morning after pill was an abortion and Drew would always say, absolutely not. That is not what it is. It is there's there's it's not what's happening. It is not an abortion. Whereas mom and dad most definitely said that it was. It was mm -hmm. an abortion. And when I had sex for the first time with this piece of shit guy, um, and afterwards we got in a fight because he hadn't used a condom or anything. And we got in a fight because I was just like, he was like, you know, if you get pregnant, then I'll take the baby. And I was like, fuck, no, you will not. <laughs> like, I'm not, I will give it. And at no point did I say I would keep the baby. I would like to note this. Mm -hmm. Even if, I was never like, yes, I want to have this baby. I was like, I will give this baby up for adoption. I will do whatever I can to make sure that you never get your hands on a child. And <laughs> didn't go over well. He wasn't super thrilled with me. But what did happen was that I was like, I was like, you're going to go get me the morning after pill. Like you made a mess and you're going to clean it up because at the time you couldn't get it. Like now you can. Right. It wasn't on the counter, the counter yet. But you yeah. have to go. You had to go to Planned Parenthood or whatever to get it at the time. And he did. He did. He went he went and got it for me. Um, now I think it's only I haven't had reason to take it in a very long time. Um, bless the creator of the IUD. But um, but at the time uh, it was two pills and you had to take them like 12 hours apart. And I don't think that's true anymore. I think it's I think it's just one. But regardless. Uh, and I was at like a sleepover at the church. 
and he like came and dropped off the morning after <laughs> Wow. When we first got there. And, like, we tried to play it off like he was, you know, he had stopped by to see me or whatever. And it was, like, it wasn't, like, a bunch of us. It was just, like, me and, like, three other girls and this woman who was running, like, a small group we were in or something. And we were at the youth house. And Amanda figured out what was going on. And I got very severely slut-shamed after a fairly uh, after a fairly traumatic experience. It was hard to be mm. a Christian teenager. Anyway, um, but the point is that I took the pill as soon as he brought it to me. Um, but it was like five o'clock. So like, you know, it says on the instructions, you're supposed to wait 12 hours, but like, of course everyone was asleep by like one or two. Right. Um, and you know, it's not like I had a phone. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I think at like three or four, I was finally like, okay, I just have to hope that this will, you know, not fuck anything up too badly. And I have like a really clear memory of like being in the bathroom at some ungodly time of morning, like looking at myself in the mirror and being like pretty dissociated and not really, and like thinking to myself before I took it that I hoped God would forgive me if it was an abortion, (laughs) but it never occurred to me not to take it. Right. And I still, I still hold that had I gotten knocked up from that, I think I would have at least tried to find a way to to get an abortion because I mean, I don't think I could have admitted to that to myself then. And I don't know if I would have mm-hmm. been able to do it or not. I mean, it did cost money. I, I don't know. I don't know if I would have been able to, but I don't know who I would have reached out to right. to make that happen. I don't think I had any, any safe people, but I think I would have tried. I'm glad I didn't because I think I would have felt guilty about it and right. whatever. But like, um, but this was like a this was a present thing for me. And it was very much like what I was aware of. Like I was a quote unquote bad kid. Like, I was, you know, I was a kid who had been fucking around with boys since I was, like, 14 years old. I was, like, I was, like, the warning child that the Christian parents didn't want their young boys around. Um, And so I was, like, super aware of this as pertaining to my life, that this was, like, a possibility. And, and like, I mean, when I, when Chris and I had sex, um, and mom, a couple, (laughs) I still don't know how she did this, (laughs) the day after... I think we had the thing at the youth house. And then I, the next day there was some summer thing. I was at the, I was at the alternative school. I don't remember why, but I was waiting for her outside and she came and got me and I got in the car and she started driving the wrong way, um, which was always a bad sign. (laughs) She took me on a trip up the river, um, which sounds like she was going to kill me. And it did cross my mind, but um, she, and she talked pretty much the whole way which was a long way. It was like a 40 minute drive told me about how she lost her virginity when she was 18 years old. I just remember having like a sort of like sarcastic, ha I beat you by a year in my head. Um, but again, this was like the day after this. Ha- I had been with Chris for a while. Like I still to yeah. day do not know if mom like somehow like intuited that it had just happened or just had like weird luck. <laughs> hmm. um, yeah. So she told, and it was during that experience that she told me about her boyfriend, her boyfriend when she was young, Ray, who was like in his forties and she was like 18. That was the first time I'd ever heard of him. And she tells me this whole story as we're like driving up the river. And then at some point she finally like pulls off to one of like the pull-off stops up there. I haven't, I don't think I've said a word the whole way. I'm mostly, I mean, I'm listening, but I'm just looking out the window (laughs) and she stops. She doesn't look at me. She just stares straight ahead And she said, Beth, if you get pregnant, your dad and I want you to come to us and not have an abortion. (laughs) And And, that was the that was the speech. Yeah. And I remember just being like, and again, like 
this is one of those things that like infuriates me looking back because I'm just like, I was so fucked up and so scared. He was so abused. He like sprained my wrist at some point. He like, and she hated him. It wasn't mm-hmm. even like she thought he was a good guy. Like fucking dad, like shook his hand whenever he came over. But mom hated him. Like, but there was no, she didn't really want to know anything. That was all she cared about. And she clearly knew that we were having sex. Like, yeah. And I remember she she sat there and waited for me to say, okay. And then she turned around and drove back and we didn't say another word the whole way back. (laughs) That was it. Sounds like valuable parenting right there. (laughs) That was the talk. And it just feels so sad for baby me when I look back at that because I'm just like, oh, my God, I was so scared. I was so, like, fucked up. I, I was so I was in such a bad space. And like, this is what you're worried about. You are more worried about this theoretical potential child than you are about your actual kid. Right. Which I just feel like sums up so much of the <laughs> movement. Hmm. Like, and so I feel like for me, it always felt it felt really present. It felt really like a thing to be worried about. It was also like a really dramatic thing to be correct about which I still hold is like the most intoxicating thing about being a conservative is being sure that you're right. Like right. <laughs> all of the time <laughs> and other people are wrong. <laughs> it's just really, especially when you're a teenager, it's appealing. Yeah. But so I remember going to, to the marches and to all of that stuff. Um, but I also remember it, it feeling really, you know, like, like something I, I could actually have to deal with and such. And, when did you decide you were not like when when did you change your mind on this issue? How far into your sort of deconstruction was it? Like mm. I mean, I think it was I think it was kind of a gradual thing, you know. I went I went through the like it's okay in some cases thing and the, you know, it, it, it should probably be legal, but maybe it's not very ethical and mm-hmm. uh so it was it was kind of a gradual thing. I, I don't I don't know anything specific I can pin it to, but the 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 first time I ever heard the the like, and I don't remember exactly when this was or where I saw it, but the first time I ever saw the argument that because uh, uh, I, I was I was never you know I, the, the the whole like the 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 main sort of back and forth of the the debate at least as I experienced it as a kid was the. Uh, you know, it's it's a woman's body. She can do what she wants with it. And then the response being, it's not about the woman's body. It's about the baby's body. They're separate right. people, mm-hmm. right? Um, but the the first time I ever heard it presented as like that 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 doesn't really matter. Like there's you can't you know I I can't be I can't be legally forced to provide blood for someone or mm-hmm. to provide a kidney for someone. <laughs> and, like, I don't think that I should be able to be legally forced to do that. Uh, so I, I think I probably, I was probably in my, you know, my early twenties when I heard that, that argument for the first time. And that made a lot of sense to me. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. I mean, I think, I think I definitely, I, I mean, it was for sure like most things, it was a process for me, but it was, I, I was almost 30 before I fully like it was the most it was the stickiest of all of the things that I was taught as a kid. It was the thing that, that stayed the hardest. I I remember a couple of years beforehand I told I told Allison at some point 
because they knew that if they ever got pregnant, they would get an abortion. And I had always kind of known that was true. And I was starting to feel a lot of a lot of guilt about like my lack of support of my friends. Um, and I remember telling them really specifically that I had decided, even though at this point I still I still found it to be a challenging moral question. I thought I thought that it was a baby, but like but and I told I told them that if they they ever they ever went to get an abortion, I'd go with them, which I don't think they would have asked me to do that, but they were touched yeah. that, I, that I offered. But what happened to me is that here I was, and I was starting to have all these questions about this. It was starting, it was starting to feel like it came up a lot. Um, and I was in this, this social work program at, at, um, in my undergrad, community college. And my first, you had to do a couple of different practicums, you know, you had to do X number of practicum hours. And the first opportunity that came, um, my teacher brought it up that Planned Parenthood was looking for was looking for a uh, for a intern, and I I and me I wanted to do it so much like <laughs> like yeah, I wanted I to do this. it yeah. so much. And at the time, I was still a Christian. We were in the we were in the last dregs of that. Um, but <laughs> but I talked about I talked to um, various people about how I, I thought Jesus wanted me at Planned Parenthood. I didn't know what that meant, but I I, I felt I felt just so compelled to go to, and I actually. <laughs> I wrote, That's like, funny. I didn't. I didn't remember that that your that your internship there overlapped with the the end of your Christianity. I mean, just barely. It would have been the first. Yeah. Like, like I like my birthday was at the end of that quarter, yeah. or towards the end of that quarter. So that was when I like officially cut mom and dad off. Okay. So I mean, it was you know it was it was we were, <laughs> and then I would have I would have stopped being a Christian in June. So like right. okay. <laughs> this is like the last six months. Like I said, it was really like the most compelling. Uh, the compelling thing. And see, I actually, I wrote three blog entries about it and I'm kind of scrolling them right now to like find some of the, some of the stuff. See, like, I don't remember this. I said, one day a friend of mine told me about waiting for another friend at an appointment to get birth control. She told me about a young boy in the waiting room, clearly waiting on his girlfriend and how he was so nervous. His girlfriend came out and he jumped up and they started crying together. I was undone. I was heartbroken for kids I had never met. My friend said it seemed clear that she had just had an abortion. I was glad they were there for each other, but I wish I could have been there somehow. This surprised me. Until that moment, I wouldn't have been able to tell you if I could walk into a clinic with someone to support them in getting an abortion if that was their decision. In that moment, I knew I could. I knew I would want to. I was aware that my stances on abortion might have made me hard to approach about the subject, and I was determined for that to change. Even though I still thought I probably I was some version of pro-life, although I was beginning to hate the title, I was no longer sure what that meant as far as the legality of it. I was overwhelmed by the thought of what a hard decision it was, almost always, and I wanted to know more. I knew, absolutely knew, that I needed to work at Planned Parenthood and that I would. And the first, <laughs> the first thing that happened was they told me they wanted me to go to lobby day with them. So, like... Right. <laughs> Um, I, I got off the phone with her and I couldn't stop laughing. Like that not only would the first the first practicum that I would do for my college be at Planned Parenthood, but I was going to lobby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was such a weird feeling because the last time I had been down to the Capitol was 100 percent for. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't really have a lot of cause to go there. It's like three hours away. So it was it was it was a, it was a hell of an experience at the time. But. Um, so I'm trying to find like a few things in these in these journal entries. Honestly, I'm a little more cynical about some of this now than I was then. But um, in terms of the, I think I was trying to be more open-hearted. Still <laughs> but, um, so 
Uh, when I walked into Planned Parenthood, I already had one very significant and growing problem with identifying myself as pro-life. If this was really all about saving babies, as I had always been told, then why wasn't there a lot more focus on, on and support of birth control? Nothing cut down on abortions more effectively than birth control. No one gave out more birth control than Planned Parenthood. I understood the black-white issue, of course. Even if you support birth control, they also performed abortions, murdered babies. It was less than 4% of what they did, one of the many things I did not know until that quarter. But it still added up a lot. Still, I couldn't help but wonder, shouldn't we at least be talking about it? If Planned Parenthood was not the answer, if the pro-life movement could not support an organization that both handed out contraceptives and also performed abortions, then shouldn't they be working on some kind of solution of their own that might offer contraception? <laughs> right. <laughs> and this is, this, I suspect that that argument is the reason why contraception got lumped in with 100 you know, because there's no good answer to that other than well contraception is also abortion <laughs> i knew most of the people who disagreed with abortion disagreed with premarital sex but surely saving innocent lives must trump that right if you truly believe that millions of innocent children are being murdered every year surely that must supersede other moral concerns that has to supersede everything but it didn't it doesn't uh, <laughs> okay, so this is this is a good lead-in to the other segment of this movie, yeah. which we've kind of gotten away from talking about a little bit here. Uh, there's a whole segment of this movie that talks about uh, the, the, what, what were they called? The Army of God? Yeah, is that Army what they were called? It was just this. It's, it's a Christian terrorist organization. I mean, that's Absolutely. what it is. And there's there's interviews with several of them and stuff. Uh, yeah, they would do like abortion bombings and mm-hmm. and uh, assassinations of abortion doctors and stuff um and they actually have they actually interview several you know one guy who had been convicted of planting bombs at abortion clinics and yep uh and it's <sighs> i remember i remember the first time we watched this finding this stuff very interesting and i still find it interesting because i i remember always thinking as a kid because the 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 rhetoric that we always heard was that abortion is the new holocaust mm-hmm. that the the Holocaust is happening right now in our country and we're not doing anything about it. Yep. And I always thought it was weird. Like if that, cause I never like that, that always seemed overblown to me, but I always thought it was weird that like, if that's, if that's really what you believe is happening, then, then what you're the doing or doesn't we, do yeah, it. Like how is this all you're doing about it? Right. If you really believe that that's what's happening. How are we not like, yeah, we like if that's honestly what you believe is happening, we should be doing this Absolutely. stuff. These Absolutely, God this is in fact consistent with what you are claiming is the case, and that right. like, and, and that to me, the the big thing to me that I came to about a lot of this is that like most most pro life advocates do not actually believe that a fetus is a baby. They don't. Right. They may say that, they may claim to believe that, but their actions prove that they do not believe that. Because there is no way, there is no fucking way that if you really believe that millions of babies are being killed every year, then not only do you not personally try to hunt down abortion doctors, not only do you not personally, like, try to bomb abortion clinics, but you distance yourself from the people who do. Right, because it looks bad. Because it looks bad. You say that they're not real Christians. You say that you don't support that sort of thing. That that's not (laughs) what pro-life is. Okay, you sure as fuck support wars in which right. killing people for like it is so clear that the that the cognitive dissonance there like this movie was made I believe either one year or two before George Tiller was murdered in his church while serving as usher and a, a significant portion of the stuff with the Army of God takes place also around um, protesters outside of George Tiller's 
at the time, George Tiller's uh, clinic, which does uh, late-term abortions. Um, there are only about three places in the country, I believe, last I heard, unless we've gotten more, which seems unlikely. Um, there are only about three places in the country that do late-term abortions. And the vast, vast majority of the time, these are really dramatic circumstances, deeply tragic circumstances. Most of the time, people who are getting late-term abortions wanted their fucking baby. Mm-hmm. Like, um, but some sort of, you know, there's there's some kind of, the baby won't survive. The baby will be in pain. The baby will be, like, and will die after nothing but pain. Like, the, <laughs> like there's so many things, and they are tragic stories. They are truly some of the most horrifically tragic stories within the pro like within the abortion community and the people who perform these procedures are saving lives like so many lives and they are doing it while literally having their own lives threatened right i cannot recommend enough watching the documentary i think it's up on amazon right now it's called after tiller um and it is just it is truly one of the most gut-wrenching and beautiful in many ways documentaries that I've ever seen about the experience of continuing to provide late-term abortion care for women after George Tiller was gunned down in his church and what that looks like. And so I nearly, I was basically like writhing and nearly lost my mind during the entire section where they're interviewing these people outside of, (laughs) outside of Tiller's clinic who are screaming at these women and talking about, it's just, oh, it is it is fucking brutal. But yeah, the fact of the matter is that the people who like we said they weren't real Christians because we didn't want to admit that that's what we were connected to, much as we said Westboro Baptist wasn't real Christians and all of these things. But the truth is that to some extent, this is a more logical follow through on what you're teaching than what you're doing or not doing. Mm-hmm. And that to me became kind of a breaking like a breaking thing. Like where I like I was like, you don't you don't believe this. How do you expect me to believe this? You so clearly do not believe this. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it's either 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 you don't believe it or you're just like a fucking coward. I mean, those those are kind of the two options. Yeah. No, I mean, I in the final part of my body, I say I walked into Planned Parenthood feeling increasingly disillusioned by the pro-life movement, but still believing that a fetus was a baby. God created it, so it had to be a baby. I spent a lot of time wondering how to deal with that belief. I had been raised to believe that abortion was never okay, never a viable option. Possibly it could be excused if it was for the life of the mother, but even then it was still a choice. And if the mother chose to give up her life for her child, well, that was an amazing gift, wasn't it? I remember those lines of logic. I remember using them myself. A woman had chosen to have sex, and so getting pregnant was a possibility. If she didn't want to get pregnant, she shouldn't have sex. If she was raped... Well, that wasn't really a viable argument because realistically, we were never going to get rid of abortion in cases of rape and incest. And it was such a small percentage anyway. My dad told me so. Um, During during my practicum, I had been having ongoing conversations with a few friends, but one in particular about these issues. I pressed, she pressed back. Through these conversations, we came to different places. She realized she was certainly pro-life. I realized I was certainly pro-choice. She would ask me, what about, and she would ask me about the baby. What about the baby? The baby who was an innocent in whatever had taken place, who couldn't possibly be to blame. I would sit there trying to picture the baby, but nothing really came to mind. There was no baby to picture. There was no person to picture because I didn't believe that that fetus was a person yet. Instead, I pictured the mother. 
I thought of women making incredibly difficult decisions, women who might be making the choice between feeding children they already had or not, women who might be in abusive relationships, girls who didn't dare tell abusive parents, women who perhaps suffered from mental illness and didn't dare change their medications, women who simply knew what they were capable of. There are millions of stories, and the truth is that I fall into the last category. I've never wanted to be a mother. There was a moment for me during all of this, and I don't know exactly when it was, when I allowed myself to admit that, yes, if this was on the table, I know what I would do. I knew, I truly believed that I would have an abortion. It would be the best thing. And, like, (laughs) I think, and again, like, I was almost 30. I had dumped so many other things. Right. Before this thing. But it's such a compelling, especially when you have been raised to believe it your whole life. I think it is hard to overstate what it's like to be taught this from, like, before you even understand what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Like, it is, it is, you know. <laughs> and I wrote this down at some point in the notes during this movie. There truly is, at this point in my life, I'm beginning to think that there are rarely more dangerous groups than groups of impassioned white women coming out to defend the anonymous children. Uh, <laughs> and I mean, yeah, I, who- I say this as someone who loves kids and who wants to protect kids, but these women don't care about protecting kids. They care about protecting a concept of a child. Right. And those are convenient because they don't talk back. Right. There's. I was. Just, I'm trying to remember who it was. There was a whole thing. I've. I've seen it around several times about how, you know, the the unborn are a very convenient yeah. uh, group to defend because they don't demand anything of you. Uh, I can't remember who it was that that said it. But well, I got into a whole. I got into a whole thing literally the day after we watched this movie, where I was, and because right now, um, and this will not be as relevant, but it'll be relevant again because this happens every year. There's a lot of internet. Um, chatter and people having a lot of thoughts and feelings about who should be allowed at Pride. Mm. Um, and if kink people should be allowed at Pride, should we let the leather daddies show up or should it be a quote unquote family event? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and it's all this happens every year to one way or another. Some of it is actually like a psyop, like there are groups on you know uh groups on reddit who specifically like start pushing out these narratives around this time of year um and some of it you get you get young kids who who get sort of swept up in the narratives um and, the, and they love that and teenagers and stuff get pulled up because like you know it, it sounds more compelling if it's coming from a kid who's like yeah how dare you <laughs> how dare you take away my childhood in this way or whatever right. and i i got into this whole thing with like multiple of my friends where we were talking about the the similarities in like the base feel of like this argument and the pro life argument and like turfs on the internet and it's all it's these groups that have this intense ideology that honestly doesn't make a lot of sense and who consistently always just come back to we are protecting children but don't actually want children to like have a voice in their movement unless the voice is saying what they want to hear Mm-hmm. Um, and <laughs> I mean, it's kind of depressing, honestly. It's 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 a bleak thing um, because so much of the time I'll see this stuff and I'm just like, God damn, like this just feels like what I grew up in with like slightly different words covering the same things. And I don't know. 
The thing that I also thought a lot about a lot in this movie is that, like, when they are training these kids, they consistently say the thing that I'm sure you heard, I heard growing up in various ways. You're not trying to argue with them. You want to get them into a conversation. Right. You just want to make sure that you're having, like, a genuine conversation because that's where we change minds. That's right. a success. If you, but it's all—I it. mean, it's all manipulation tactics, is all it is. Oh, of course. Yeah. But this is something that I run into a lot when I think. So we have um, protesters who apparently have nothing better to do with their fucking lives, who um, <laughs> who sit outside of our Planned Parenthood uh, sometimes. Yeah, you see them outside the Bellingham one too sometimes. And um, for a while, they were getting, especially during uh, during uh, quarantine and stuff. I think they just they didn't have anything else to do. I don't know. Um, and we would drive by. And I would always feel a lot of a lot of uncertainty about what to do because I wanted to yell at them <laughs> and flip them off. But that's but what I, they want. That's what they want. That just reinforces yeah. their narrative, right? Yeah. And then I'm like, so for a while, I would just go by and shake my head in annoyance um, <laughs> in the hopes that they saw me uh, roll my eyes, whatever. And then eventually, I was like, "Fuck it, who fucking cares? There's no, there's no winning. There's no winning here." No matter what happens, they're going to convince themselves that they planted a seed, that they that they did a thing. They are so convinced in the righteousness of their cause that anything I do can be turned to add to that. So now mm-hmm. I flip them off, but um, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is just my personal letting. It's like at the end, it doesn't matter what I say or do. So I might as well do the thing that I personally feel the best about. Right. But like, but this is a really challenging thing for me that I think about a lot. That isn't just about abortion. That is is largely about sort of like the conservative movement, specifically evangelical conservatives. And when I think about it and I think getting into a conversation with them as if you are taking them seriously gives them a platform, gives them validity makes them feel like they won because that's what they wanted. They wanted to Mm -hmm. get into a conversation with you. They wanted to have you acknowledge them as, you know, equally, equally viable of an option. I was just talking with someone about this the other day and I was like, and she was like, but like, don't, you know, I was like, they're so convinced they're right. And she's like, well, but yeah, but so are we. And I was like, yeah, but like, I'm open to being wrong about the way in which this happens. But I think that there is some sort of there's some sort of line in there that I'm still struggling to sort of parse about how do we how do we talk about these things like it is okay to outright reject a framework that is dehumanizing and to not give it the same platform. And it is not the same to say that I know that the framework that you are working from is dehumanizing, is actively hurting women, is actively hurting children, is actively hurting all of these things. And I will not discuss this with you as if this is an equally viable platform to have while at the same time saying it is entirely possible that the way that I am approaching my framework may be wrong and I am open to correction on that from those within, you know, from those who, who see my own hypocrisies or inconsistencies or whatever. But what I right. see a lot with people, especially people who did not grow up like we grew up, is there's a lot of, like, trying to engage with them. And I don't know. I just for me, every time I see that, I'm just like, fuck, you're just you're just giving them what they want. Well, yeah, but it, it's... <sighs> It's, and I don't yeah, mean no, it doesn't it, matter. It just it it really yeah. like is something that bothers me and I go back and forth on. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know what the answer to that is either because I mean it's like that with every issue, right? The the 
you, you get the the sort of standstill of you know the, these people believe they're right about everything and there's no there's no talking them out of it and their response is no you uh, <laughs> and that that is literally the you can just go you know you can go back and forth like that forever there's right. no point in that and and but on the other hand like people can have their minds changed. We both did. Well, and that's the thing, right? So, <laughs> Is that I look at it and I'm like, if I had not had people who loved me, people who were so incredibly patient with awful things that I periodically said that I believed at the time, I don't know what would have happened. What would I have done? If like Allison wasn't like if the two of the two of us hit it off and we continued to be friends, even though at least once we got into a thing that I didn't think was an argument, I just thought was a playful discussion. Um, and they got frustrated enough that they had to close their computer immediately and go take a shower. <laughs> Something about gay people or I don't know. But um, like but they loved me and they believed that I was trying to figure things out. I was always trying to figure things out. And I don't think that there is necessarily a benefit in like not giving people the opportunity to do that. While I also think sometimes that people overestimate how likely many people are to do that. <laughs> well, yeah, but this is this is again, this is a fresh because if you just refuse to talk to them about it, they count that as a win, too. Right. So there's no <laughs> there, there's no way to engage or to disengage from it leaving them feeling like they've not succeeded. <laughs> so, it's a convenient framework in that way. That's what I said. It's it been is. great. I yeah. always feel like you're right. Mm -hmm. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. I don't know. I don't know if there is any. And I, I do feel like, and I, I think the data bears out, bears this out, is that like things are also different than they were when we were kids. Sure. Like, is this a natural evolution of what happened when we were kids? Yes, of course it is. Like, it's not like it came out of nowhere. <laughs> Yeah. But like, but this is not the same. These people all voted for fucking Trump. Yeah, they like they are. And not only are they I mean, they are they are functionally because in some ways they're becoming less hypocritical. Right. Like, they are. They are supporting the policy over the religious dogma to some extent. This has always been about power. One of the most like frustrating things for me as I became more liberal was realizing that, in fact, the liberals were not what I had been taught. That, like, that I would kill to live in a world where the liberal side of politics, leftist side of politics, whatever, was, like, a tenth as organized and right. determined and together as as I was taught they were, as the right wing is. Like... <laughs> <laughs> it was a very frustrating thing to realize that that was all kind of a lie and that like I don't know like I got so like I get so frustrated still where people and people are really freaked out about Roe v. Wade and stuff and I just consistently am like look I am very freaked out about Roe v. Wade there has not been a point in my conscious memory where I was not being told that the goal was to fucking overturn this Mm -hmm. Like that to to overturn the courts to get to get the courts on our side to to overturn Roe v. Wade. But if you think they are going to stop at Roe v. Wade, you are fucking kidding yourself. Yeah, they want to overturn all of the civil rights laws. They want to. <laughs> you are kidding yourself if you think that this is just about Roe v. Wade. Roe v. Wade was a strategic and well planned entry point. 
I feel like people are not freaked out enough about it. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. I think people in general aren't nearly freaked out enough about a lot of things that are going on right now. I think they just, I think people just like don't believe that it could happen. Yeah, no, oh, yeah, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. Which I didn't either when I was younger. Yeah. I distinctly remember being like, okay, but like Roe v. Wade is never actually going anywhere. <laughs> right. Even when I thought it should. It was hard. Yeah. I don't know. Um, we've been recording for a while. Uh, do you. Is there anything specific like that you wanted to call out within the movie that, more that you wanted to make sure we talked about? Um, I don't think so. I mean, we could we could talk more about some of the details and some of the the kids who were involved in this program and stuff. But I mean, like, yeah, we're we're past an hour. There was one kid. Know. There was one kid who very adorably was like, I've never really like thought of, you know, this has never been a real type thing to me. And I'm like, well, yeah, babe. Cause like y- y- you're a man, you've never had to worry about getting pregnant. His name was Grant Cheney and I couldn't find him on the internet, Yeah, but he had a lot of questions about the imagery that was being used and how it was being used and stuff that I just, I really came out of that movie being like, man, I, I hope you, I hope you found your way out of this. Cause it seems mm-hmm. like you're, it seems like you're trying. <laughs> So that's well, that was that was an interesting rant. that was an interesting thing was that several of the the kids who were kind of being forced to participate in this thing had issues with the imagery and the the approach. Uh, I will also call out their fairly nice shot when they were talking there. I guess I will. I will talk about this for a second, which is that there was a lot of questions about, like, would Jesus use such graphic imagery right. or whatever? And they brought up the passion um, and that people right. are more open to graphic imagery being used because of the passion, which I think is is probably true. Unfortunately, um, yeah, watch that at some that point too. Thing, but yeah, <laughs> uh, but uh, they had they had a nice shot juxtaposing the like gory raising of Jesus on the cross with the raising of these uh, giant poster boards of dead fetuses. That was yeah. like it was, it was a nice shot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. But yeah, I mean, in general, if this sort of thing interests you and you happen to run across this movie, I think it's totally worth watching, but it is kind of hard to find and I wouldn't like kill yourself trying. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Okay, well, do you want to pick what we're going to watch next? Yeah, let's do that real quick. We are, incidentally, this is a quarter of the way through. So this was, we're down to 75? Yeah, we have 75 left. Okay. Quarter of the way, Joel. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that's impressive. Uh, uh, fourteen. What's fourteen? Oh God, uh, fourteen is Boondock oh. Saints. Uh, <laughs> 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 uh, I used to own this one, but I don't think I do anymore. I also Which we'll 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 get to that, I guess. Um, <laughs> Jesus, so, okay. Well, it's, stream, be a fun it's one. streaming on Prime, so okay, it, yeah, it, no, it I'm sure it's, okay. Okay then. Well, <laughs> would you like to talk first about what you've been watching, or would you like me to? Uh, I guess I'll go first this time. Okay. Uh, and you know I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna skip around a little bit here because, like I said, it's been like two months, so yeah. there's a lot. Yeah. Um. Uh, let's see. Leap of faith. That was what that movie was called. The last one we did. Mm-hmm. Um. So one one major uh, event that has occurred since the last time we recorded is that the theaters here are open again. True. 
Um, and we are vaccinated. <laughs> we are. So uh, shortly after we recorded the last time, I watched on uh, on HBO Max, I watched Godzilla King of the Monsters. Yes. Uh, because I had missed that one when it was in the theater. Um, uh, so I watched that in preparation for going to see Godzilla vs. Kong, yes. which is the first, that was my first movie back. It was also me and Eric's <laughs> first movie theater. back. All right. Um, it's a good theater movie. Incidentally, one thing that I had forgotten from the previous, you know, the first Godzilla movie, and right. I did not remember how stacked that cast is. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of different, it's not all the same people, obviously, but I did not remember Ken Watanabe was in the first one. Yeah. But I guess he was. Um, sure I don't was. think Kyle Chandler and Vera Farmiga were in the first one, were they? Uh, and Millie Bobby Brown. That whole family's new for this one, I think. Yes, in, the, in the first one, it was, it was Brian Cranston and uh, yes, the the what's his name and and Elizabeth Olsen. Yes. That was the family in the first one. Yes. But uh, yeah, I mean, I uh, I do enjoy these movies. Uh, I I thought that the one thing that the the original the first one did that was a, a good choice was. It it didn't really spend a lot of time pretending that the human characters were very interesting. Yes. <laughs> uh, and I, I thought the King of the Monsters uh, lost that a little bit. It spent a bit too much time trying to get us to care about the Kyle Chandler, Vera Farmiga, Millie Bobby Brown family. Yeah. Um, and who who gives a shit? So <laughs> there was a it, there was a little bit of uh, of time lost on that, but. Um, there's also there was a lot of fun stuff, and then so I did, and then like a week later, I, I went to see Godzilla versus Kong, which uh, uh, <laughs> is just I mean by this a point, really this, fun dumb movie. This series is just fucking bonkers. It I is. Mean, like let's you know I guess spoilers for Godzilla versus Kong if you haven't seen it yet, but one of the main things going on in this movie is that there's like this hollow Earth. Thing, yeah, which I don't know if they pulled that from the if that was a thing in the old movies or if that's something they've made up. I assumed but, so, but maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> so basically, it was this thing that was theoretical, but that the people, the scientists who were studying Kong believed in that there was there's essentially like this inner there's like another world that's like inside the planet. And it's all like primeval and, you know, has filled with giant monsters like King Kong. This is apparently uh, an incredibly old concept. Like, the it's a, it appeared as early as a novel in 1741. Was this, like, like Journey to the Center of the Earth? Yeah. Shit? So it's, it's yeah. like, this is, like, this is a really, like, common, like, science fiction right. called subterranean fiction. What was, before we knew anything about what the Earth's core was like. This right. One so, of I the mean, theory. Jules Verne's novel was 1864, so that was over a right. hundred years after their listen right. to the first note of it. So, I mean, this has been a concept that's been around forever. But, so, Godzilla versus Kong has, among other things, if, <laughs> first off, at this point, Millie Bobby Brown's character in this one is basically, like, uh, uh, fucking, what's her name? Uh, the uh, the girl with the dragon tattoo. Like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> she's, like, she's like a baby version of that. She's like, like, intrepid. Lizbeth. Lizbeth Salander, right? Yeah. She's like this intrepid uh, journalist slash conspiracy theorist. She doesn't drink tap water because of the chemicals in it. I was like, unhappy it, that they like validated that bananas theory. I was like, come on. And we've got uh, what's his name is a podcaster who has been doing this like 
underground podcast from while working inside the like this big corporation that is doing something shady and he's it's the dumbest like he's supposedly do he's like he has like snuck in through their hiring process and is doing this thing it's like an expose on all the shady shit going down but like he makes no effort to disguise his voice in the podcast he like he records from his car in the parking lot <laughs> apparently no one has caught on um yeah there there's this whole plot thing where they they have to like Godzilla is coming after Kong because they're like both apex predators or whatever, and they can sense each other and they can't be two of them. So they're Godzilla's yep. coming after Kong. And there's this whole thing with this, with the, the, the hollow earth. And at one point, uh, what's his name? Scars guard, the, the tall, handsome guy, uh, says something about how, like people believe that the skull Island where Kong has been hanging out is like the hollow earth come to the surface. And that's why there's all this like right, crazy wild yeah, going like, on there. Yeah. And that like if you watch the right the Kong Skull Island, that's part of the thing. It's like it's not just Kong on the island. There's all these crazy monsters. Yes. But for some reason, in spite of the fact that Skull Island is apparently Hollow Earth come to the surface, in order to actually get to Hollow Earth, the entrance to it is in the fucking Arctic. For some reason. The moment seems- where they drop Kong off in the Arctic and he looks so upset is like one of my favorites. He's like, "What the actual fuck?" Right. So, but there's, there's this whole thing about like when they fly into it, there's some kind of like weird cosmic gravity shifting yeah. thing that at one point he describes as like traveling twelve thousand miles in a second or something. And like previous people that have tried to go in have been killed by this weird force that happens yeah, so that doesn't make any a, sense. A special ship, right? And but then, in spite of that, <laughs> all that fucking Godzilla has to do to to open a, a doorway to the to the Hollow Earth is like drill down a couple hundred feet from from the city of Beijing. <laughs> Yeah. All of a sudden, he's in. Yeah. And Kong can just climb right out. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's the weirdest thing. And my favorite, my my absolute favorite thing, there's a, he, Kong goes into this and they're like following him through and he goes to this like big temple that I guess his ancestors were supposed to have built or something. There's I don't like know. a hammer for him and stuff. Yeah. Right. No, it's like, yeah, he finds a battle axe. Yeah. Which like, okay, that's. Whatever, that's kind of cool, I guess. But then we discover that it is, in fact, a rechargeable nuclear battle. Yeah. (laughs) Whatever that means. Honestly, my favorite thing in the movie that I just and it's it's a smaller thing than that, but I just couldn't get over is that like the entire B plot of this movie is um is these kids running around with these like oh, this the entire B plot is completely unnecessary. If it hadn't happened, nothing would have gone different. It is completely well, I mean I think she convinces I don't know. She convinces him to do something at the end. It doesn't matter. But um but they so they're in this like <laughs> in two different points, at two different places on the planet for reasons that don't matter. They're in this like organization's headquarters that is like doing this like top secret shit and of course like wants to you know harness the power of the gods for military or whatever the fuck because that's Mm -hmm. what they always want to do um and there are no guards anywhere ever where's security like these literal children i'm just like 
walking through and like opening up secret doors. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, oh the other the never other kid is uh, huh. I said it never got less funny. Right. <laughs> The other kid is the kid from uh, Hunt for the Wilder People. I can't remember his name. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. who? So for some reason, there's this kid from New Zealand there. They're friends. Which I had a moment of like, wait, are the, is she in New Zealand now? No. Why is this dude here? And Coach is still taking care of the monster stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it was we fun. We just talked a I long time it. about Godzilla I, versus yeah. Coach. <laughs> Um, I also, on the same day I went to see Godzilla vs. Kong, I also went to see In the Earth, uh, which is like a, a sort of folk horror thing from Ben Wheatley, who did uh, High Rise and Kill List and Sightseers and a bunch of other stuff that I, I mostly like. Kill List a lot. What's that? I said I sure did hate Kill List a lot. Did you really? I like so Kill List much. a lot. So much. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so much. At any rate. It was actually a, it was a it was a quarantine film. He shot it all during quarantine. It's the first movie I've seen so far that had a quarantine or a a COVID coordinator on on the credits. Um, but I liked it. It was cool. Um, <clears throat> one thing that I've done a couple of uh, May and I have watched a couple of the the uh, Studio Ghibli movies on HBO. Mm-hmm. We've done a couple that we hadn't seen before. We did the Secret World of Arietti, which I liked a lot. I saw that one in theaters and hated it, but I'm hoping that I can like. Interesting. I had I, a real deep fucking childhood attachment to the borrowers, and I think it like tapped the wrong buttons for me. But yeah, see, I don't know if you remember this. The first movie that I ever saw in the theater without our parents was The Borrowers with you. I don't uh, remember that at that, all. That, that live action Borrowers movie yeah, that John had John Goodman in it. Yeah, yeah. That, that was the first. Yeah, no, I me, you, and Jared all went. It was the first time I ever went to a movie without mom and dad. Um. <laughs> But that's my only I think I might have read one or two of the books once, but that's that's my only connection to the borrowers. I hadn't even realized that the secret world of Arietti was an adaptation of the borrowers until I started watching it. But uh, I really liked it, though. It's a lot of fun. Um, Beautiful, as those movies always are. Uh, And then we also watched Kiki's Delivery Service, which I also hadn't seen. Mm -hmm. Um, And that one was just a blast. I don't know if you've seen that one. but It's a lot of fun. Like I have, but not in so many years. I really don't remember anything about it, so okay. I'm looking forward to seeing it again at some point. Yeah, no, I like that one a lot. Um, uh, watched the new Mortal Kombat, but who cares? <laughs> I went to go see that one in theaters. I was kind of disappointed with myself because I was like, man, I should have just watched it at HBO. This is yeah. barely the movie you want to talk shit through. Like, Yeah, I did not go to the theater to see it. Man, I watched it together because we did. One of the things that we did when the quarantine started was we bought an old PS3 off Craigslist because we didn't have any gaming stuff here and we both were kind of wanting something and one of the games we got was a Mortal Kombat game because she had been really into Mortal Kombat games as a kid. I'd never really played them but so we had played a lot of that over the last year and uh, so we watched the the movie together but it was pretty dumb. Yeah, I mean it was it was real fucking dumb. It was real (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I finally got around to watching Mangrove the first of uh, Steve McQueen's Small Axe series mm. on Amazon. Yeah, I haven't watched any of those. I still have not got around to any of the other ones, but I did watch Mangrove, and it was really good. Okay. Uh, I like Steve McQueen generally. I, I I'm hit or miss, his, but when I like him, I really like him. Uh, I went to see uh, Nobody. Do, do, do you know? Have you heard about Nobody? 
with uh, it's 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 John Wick with Bob Odenkirk. Oh yes, yes. Uh, okay. It's just such a but, fucking forgettable name. Anyway. Well, it is, yeah, and that's I mean that's the pitch is that it's John Wick with Bob Odenkirk. That's not entirely accurate, but the you I think you would find this movie fascinating because it's not it's not great. It's definitely not John Wick level, but there is something fascinating about the degree to which this movie is just an absurd like middle-aged white dude fantasy fulfillment ah. like like truly truly absurd to the point where i'm not convinced it wasn't meant to be funny okay <laughs> uh, so I, i'd be curious if if you watch it we i'd be curious to talk about it with you some more cuz it is right. uh, it's truly truly like the the level of detail that they go to of like this is the exact way that uh, a frustrated 42 year old dad whose son doesn't respect him and his wife <laughs> won't fuck him anymore would want this to go. Like, <laughs> okay. Okay. It's, it's, it's kind of fascinating. Um, uh, watch the Mitchells versus the machines along with everyone else in the world. Yep. Um, which is pretty good. Uh, I, I, I think I, I picked a bad weekend to watch a movie about how uh, how you were really just misunderstanding are, are your... yeah. Just, yeah yeah um, no I I, I liked it a lot it's very it's yeah. very clever and smart and funny and also I was frustrated with the leeway that they gave the dads like truly bad behavior yeah um, so yeah uh, I watched a, a Sean Baker movie called Starlet that movie yeah ad I love Starlet. Yeah, I really liked it. I had not really heard of it before, but I, I saw his name attached to it, so I decided to watch it. And I think I watched really... it before I saw any of his other movies. It was just like a random thing on like Netflix or something that looked oh, interesting. really appealing, and so I just added it to my queue and watched it before it was going to expire. Um, and I was like, holy shit, this is great. <laughs> and I don't think I realized okay. until later, until after watching some of his other stuff, that I was like, oh shit, this is the same guy. <laughs> right, okay, yeah. No, it's really good. I liked it a lot. He has a, he, uh, he has a very specific brand of, of humanism. Mm-hmm. In his storytelling that I, I wish was a lot more common. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, I watched the 1973 George Romero film The Crazies, it's also on Mubi. We should really get Mubi to sponsor us because I talk about them at least twice every episode. Yeah, but by the time the episode's um, released, things are never up anymore. So. That's that's true. <laughs> but, you know, we could if they were gonna if they were gonna pay out, we could do it as like a special, you know, Fair insert enough. segment or something. <laughs> Um, which the crazies was the movie that he did, I believe like a couple years after night is living dead. Um, that's basically about a, uh, a bioweapon that accidentally gets released in a, like a small town that, and it, it basically drives people violently crazy. Sure. Um, it's, you know, super, super low budget, but it's, it's an interesting movie. There's, there's an interesting thing that, you know, they send the military into this town to try to get the situation under control. And you have all these people who are, it's not like, it's not like 28 days later style. They get violent. Mm -hmm. They're still much more like, uh, you know, they're, 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 they're more self-controlled than that. They're not like animalistic. They're just violent. Okay. So there's this whole thing where like the military, it's like this small town in, I don't remember where exactly, but the military is like, okay, we got to take everyone's guns away. And they're like, Fuck no! You're not taking everyone's guns away in this small town. Like that'll never happen. You'll never be able to do that. You're gonna get. At any rate, there's an interesting thing going on in the movie where a lot of the time you can't tell if the people are infected with this thing or if they're just shooting them at the military because they don't want them to take their guns away. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's an interesting movie. 
Uh, it was remade in like the like 2010 or something. Yes. And I've heard the remake's actually pretty good, but I haven't I haven't seen it. It seems the sort of story that does not appeal to me. So. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I watched The Greatest Showman, which <laughs> I right. thought I saw that in before. theaters. Yeah, um, I, I'm I'm glad that I watched it because. Uh, until I watched it, I hadn't realized that P.T. Barnum invented social justice. It is uh, a shock since he also yeah. like dissected black people live uh, like on stage for people to yeah. watch. So it is it's an interesting combination. Of he also he also put a dwarf in a Napoleon costume and equality was born. So, you know, it's it's a, it's a real it's a real puzzle how history works. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. It has like two good songs. <laughs> Yeah, no, it was there was definitely some fun stuff in there, and it's like it's it's a really obvious milieu for like a big big screen musical. Right. But I wish that they had like you could have made a big screen musical period piece set in a circus and not had it not be had it be him about there. Him. There was yeah. no reason to have it be him. But <laughs> yeah. also, the song between Zac Efron and Hugh Jackman is. I maintain the gayest musical theater performance that I have ever seen. And I've watched it like a hundred times. That, that can't possibly be true, but it is literally uh, just Hugh Jackman trying to convince Zac Efron to sleep with him. And then, <laughs> that is, oh. that is what is happening. Okay. Let's see. Uh, I watched St. Maud, which I'd been wanting to yeah, see. Yeah, we, we talked about it. Or like, yeah, we talked about that was, when I it. It was one it. of the ones that was supposed to have come out last year, and I've been seeing trailers for it and stuff and was really excited about it, and then it never came out because of, of COVID. But Incorrect. It's I was now. thinking of something else. I have not seen this. Anyway, go on. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's, a, this is, it's, one of, it's an A24 horror movie is what yeah. it is. Um, and it's, it's one of those like movies about a person going crazy, which is like one of my favorite things. Uh, and it's great. I was mixing uh, it with St. Francis. Right. Yeah, no, that's a different movie. But um, there. <laughs> yeah, no, it's an understandable mix-up. We watched uh, Hannah Gadsby's new uh-huh. thing, Douglas, yeah. which was fine. I liked it a lot. I mean, it's not as... I mean, I always... Uh, she's never going to, like, have another career moment. Like, like you, yeah. you get that once, I think. Yeah. Um, but it was, it was kind of... It was kind of a mixed bag. There was definitely some good stuff, uh, but, you know, jokes about Gryffindor being the straight white male of Hogwarts aren't exactly cutting edge. And there, I felt like she made that joke like five times in that special. But anyway, it was fine. Um, uh, finally got to see Minari. Yes. They, they're playing that at the Pickford. So the I went, second movie I saw in theaters. Yeah. I went to see that last weekend. Um I, I think the the last the last five minutes of that movie are a major misfire, but everything else about it is fantastic. I won't go into details about that because a lot of people still haven't seen it yet. But that is fine. Yeah, I <laughs> but uh, I, I I am not the only person who has that opinion. Sure. I was pleased to discover when I listened to uh, the slash film cast, and all three of them felt the same way. <laughs> so, um, it wasn't my and, favorite part of the movie. I will say that. Yeah. Um. And then yesterday I went to see A Quiet Place Part 2, mm. which is the first of the like the big movies that was supposed to come out last summer and got pushed back. And Is it going to make me mad? Uh, I mean, the first one made you kind of mad, didn't so it? So mad. Yeah, so probably. <laughs> I, mean, I really I liked it. was filled with rage watching I did wish that I did wish that I had, I had rewatched the first one before going to see it because uh, there were some things that I didn't remember and it was kind of distracting trying to piece it together. Um, but I did really like it. Uh, Killian Murphy's great. 
I, th- I think he's, I mean, I like John Krasinski fine, but I would say Killian Murphy is a step up. Um, <clears throat> there, I had, there were some, there were some, uh, some plot hole issues that were kind of nagging at me throughout it. And there's a few things plot like that, hole issues I, in the entire concept of a quiet place. Yeah, sure. Know. But I, I still really liked it. I think they do a lot of really interesting stuff with the, uh, uh, the deaf daughter. Um, and that actress is just fucking fantastic. Millicent Simmons. She's great. And it is great uh, that they hired an actual deaf person to. Yeah. And I, I think they, I, you know, I'm, I'm far from an expert on this and maybe there are people who know more about this who, who would say otherwise, but I, I think they do a pretty good job with it. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So that was, that was just yesterday. I saw that. So that, um, that was movies. I've, I've, finished the falcon and the winter soldier but who gives a shit um yeah caught up finally caught up on um uh search party finished season four of that what do you think uh, i think i think season four is like way weaker than the other seasons but it was a little bit because because they split the group up right so you had partly but i felt yeah. like the i felt like what they did and the way they did it to me i don't want to spoil shit but like yeah. felt like it took away from sort of like the in some ways, it like took away from like the sort of biting edge of satire that they had had and made it like something else. I don't know. It, it, I, I, mm. Well, it is it is definitely something else. Like it is a show that is constantly becoming something else, <laughs> which I think is interesting. I, I don't disagree with you. I think this season is maybe a little bit weaker. Um, but it did but have I, and doubt. So it did, and I, I still really <laughs> like. It. I'm, I'm definitely excited to see what else they do with it. Um, uh, what was the, oh, and I've been I've been HBO finally actually has stuff that I want to watch again. Sure do. I feel like it's been ages. So are you watching Mary Beast Town? Oh fuck yes, I am. Are you caught up with it? Yes. The 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 season fin- or the finale airs tonight. Yeah, this I'm is, watching it tomorrow. The, the woman of I'm course, seeing. Of course, by the time this comes out, it'll be long over. But yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I just I finally just caught up with it this morning. Actually, I watched episode six. So good. It's really good. Yeah, no, I mean, it's exactly my kind of thing, like the small town crime drama thing. It is not always exactly my kind of thing, but in this case, I am super into it. Um, I think I've been listening to Still Watching talking about it. They've just been, of course, doing phenomenal work like they always do. And um, they they were talking really early on about how much it feels. It feels sort of like a gender swap in a weird way that like normally you like normally this would be a male character. Normally this would be. And not only that, but like the character played by uh, what's his face um, of Ryan Murphy fame. Oh, Evan Peters. Evan Peters. Yeah. Um, is it's, it's, is like is clearly like normally would be the woman. Like that's right. It's interesting. I, I, I when he showed up, I was like, I don't think I've ever seen him play an adult before. No. And it, it was you know, weird. They had, a, they had an interview with <laughs> I mean, him. Good, on, they but... had an interview with him on Still Watching that was truly one of the most charming things I've ever fucking heard. Like mm-hmm. he he was just like he is he sounds like a kid, even I mean he's like my mm-hmm. age, but a little younger. But like um and he was just he was talking about how because Joanna was bringing up the scene where he was drunk in the bar and was just like, this is just phenomenal right. acting. Like, you just yeah. you just did an amazing job. And he's like, really? Oh, my God, that's so good to hear. After that scene happened, I literally just started sobbing and was like, we didn't get it. I did it all wrong. Like, <laughs> the level to which he is, like, crippled by the certainty that, like, I'm concerned about him a little. But, like, he was uh. so sweet and charming that, like, I liked him before, but now I'm a little bit in love with him. <laughs> Yeah, and he's, he's he's quite good in the show too. He's and, great. Uh, he's great. Everyone's great. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, it's bleak. I, so yeah, I, yeah I do. This 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 might be like I don't. I, we don't need to get into like in depth into theories or whatever. And this goes a little bit into spoilers if you haven't watched it. But I feel like it's a little bit weird that Guy Pierce is in this show and hasn't really had a lot to do, okay, which makes it suspicious that. that he's going to end up being somehow involved in the. A lot of people said that, but what Joanna right. Robinson because other than Kate Winslet, he's by far the biggest name in the right. cast. But he got he was recast. It was a favor. He knows the director and the person who was supposed to play the role originally dropped out. Okay, so I like I was not aware of that, but it is maybe maybe they almost like you know it's almost like a deliberate misdirect in that regard. <laughs> but, I am just I mean, wanting to say like, that I am on board with Joanna Robinson's theory, partly because. She has a really remarkable track record, honestly, um, of figuring out theories. Yeah, but also, don't, because don't, her, don't, don't, I'm not going to say what it is. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to say what I, it is. I always kind of avoid that stuff. It's not my, yeah. Um, but uh, I, I think that she's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and uh, I have also been watching Hacks, which I've I not watched. Been watch. Oh, you haven't been watching that? I'm going to, but I just so haven't is, gotten to it. This is the, the the two are tied together because, I know, they, both because they both have. Shit, what is her name? Uh, I'm going to draw a blank on her. I'm already drawing a blank on her name. Um, her name is Jean uh, Smart. Jean Smart, right, who is <clears throat> has been having quite a, a career resurgence lately, Which it seems, awesome. in Super like, good TV stuff. Well, it's funny because I guess she was like everyone who grew up in the 90s and stuff and actually like watched TV knew who she was. Yeah. Uh I had the, the thing that I knew her from was she had like small roles in a couple of fucking kids movies that we watched a ton as kids. <laughs> that was what I knew her from. She was she was in fucking Homeward Bound and that that Bruce Willis movie, The Kid. She had like small supporting roles in those movies. That was what I knew her from. And so when she showed up in Legion, I was like, hey, it's that woman from Homeward Bound. I haven't seen her in anything in ages. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, you know, she did she did that and then she was in the season of Fargo and she's just had done this like back to back to back supporting roles in, in these great TV shows. Sure, she's, uh, she's amazing. Her her IMDb she has 121 credits. <laughs> yeah, no, and I, I know that's the thing. Like she's been every like she was a huge name. I think she was the lead in that show, Designing Women, right? Yes, I believe so. But I've never seen that, and I I wouldn't have known who was in that. I didn't. Right. So at any rate, uh, so she is currently simultaneously a supporting role in Mare of East Town and then a co lead in the show Hacks, which is also great. So I heard, and I, I keep meaning to watch it, and I keep having not done that. Maybe this weekend. Who knows? Yeah, I recommend it. It's quite good. Yeah. Uh, I think that's it. I think I'm finally, okay. finally back. Okay. Um, all right. Well, uh, we talked about some of the movies I watched already. Um, Eric and I watched The New Mutants. Uh, oh, God. Why? Okay. It's Here's the thing. I haven't seen it for the record. It's not good. I mean, obviously, it's not good. That's that's not a that's not a shock. But I'm actually super glad we watched it, which I cannot always say when I walk. At this point, I at this point, the reason we watched it initially is because I have watched all of the X Men movies, and I will continue to do so because that is the person that I am, and I am sick. But like, I watched all the X Men movies too until this one. I don't. I don't know that. This I can... one is gay. Like textually, the lead characters are gay. Yeah. Which has never happened. Yeah. And it's really a shame that it wasn't in a better movie. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm still glad that it was there. I don't know. It was a dumb movie. That, it was a that, dumb movie. That, that feels like the opposite of progress to me. <laughs> but 
<laughs> you know, I'm, I am hardly the the relevant voice on that topic, but it's it's complicated. <laughs> but I do. It did. It was it was interesting to watch in a way that it absolutely would not have been if it was straight. Hmm. So it wasn't good, but like I was not bored. Okay. So, which is my worst sin for a movie. So. <laughs> Uh, we went to go see Raya and the Last Dragon, which was not textually gay, but was obnoxiously subtextually queer. So movie. Good. Yeah, um, it's pretty. It's whatever. The story is pretty weak. Um, feels yeah. feels kind of by the numbers. Yeah, I, I thought about going to see that one, but I yeah, it just nothing I'd heard about it excited me. Yeah, it, it was it was fine. Um, let's see. What else have I watched? I watched Promising Young Woman, which I hated with all of my heart and soul. You did. Um, You're on that side of it. Okay. I sure fucking I, I haven't. I yeah. haven't gotten around to that one yet, and I'm afraid to. It made me so upset that yeah. I had, like, a hard time functioning while watching it. <laughs> like, by the end of it, I was just, like, I was ready to, like, scream and break shit. And I really have tried to be, like, very reasonable about it. I understand this is a very this is a very complicated topic, and people have a lot of different emotional responses to the topic that I don't think are inherently right or wrong. But for me, this is every—and it was made by a woman. It was written and directed by a woman. I assume yeah. that something about this, like— resonates for her and i don't want to say that she's like a bad person or whatever for making that because i think this is the kind of topic where that's complicated and for me this was every wrong button that you could push on this that just made me feel very bad um <laughs> i did not enjoy i'll it. watch it eventually but i am i am like legitimately nervous about it because i feel like it's one of those movies where there's it looks no matter where you land on it, it's going to be like, you know, uh, yeah. people are going to be mad at you for it, no matter how you feel about it. It looks so. really pretty. It's yeah. um, it, it's really well filmed and, and acted. The acting is great. But it, it really like it was a thing that's like this is like this feels as if it is supposed to be at least on some level, like a bit of catharsis, among other things. But this feels like my worst nightmares. Like this is this is like the darkest space that I ever get to about how I believe, like what I think about men in the world. And like, there is no catharsis for this for me here. <laughs> like, okay. So it is, it is, it sure is something. Um, I watched my octopus teacher, which is very lovely. Um, but crib camp still should have won best documentary, but, mm -hmm. um, it's, it's a good movie and I, I recommend it. Um, See, I rewatched Attack the Block and still didn't like it very much, but we, Eric and I watched it. For... Yeah, I hear they're making a second one. Yeah, yeah. it's just it's just gory. Like it's not it's just gory in a way that doesn't appeal to me. Like it's just yeah. it's just not my thing. What else? Eric and I also watched. We went to go see the first Fast and Furious in theaters because I never saw that one in theaters, and that was a delight. Um, we went to we watched uh, the Lady Eve from Ebert's best movies, which I had watched before but did not remember at all. God, that's a fun movie. It's just. It's just really fun. I don't think I've seen that one. I mix that one up with a couple other movies, but I don't think I've seen that one. It's really, really fun. Um, I watched Emma, the the remake from last year. How was that? It was I, fine. I, it's that pretty. was one that I wanted to see, but it was. I think it was one of those ones that. I think it. I feel like it came out like right before the theater shut down. And I think it, it was like the here. last big movie that like came out. Yeah. Like yeah, it, it's fine. It's pretty. Um, I, I really like Bill Nye playing her dad. Um, I wasn't that impressed with this Mr. Bingley. Bingley is Bingley the one in Emma. Anyway, the the dude. I didn't like him that much, but it was fine. Um, watch Michelle's versus Machines. We already talked about that. Um, I watched Army of Dead on right. Netflix and hated that a whole lot. 
Also, it was so long. I am not like a profound Zack Snyder hater, but I do typically hate zombie movies, most of them. And um, I don't love Snyder. So like, it's just, I don't know. I felt like he needed a leash on him and no one, no one gave him one. Um, <laughs> and then last night I watched uh, the original Manchurian Candidate and Criterion, which I had never seen. The Sinatra one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I saw the remake I saw that when years, it came out I saw that years ago, but uh, I haven't seen it since. Just absolutely fucking living for Angela Lansbury playing like the most psychotic bitch mother. Right. Um, just yeah, truly, I remember that. truly chef's kiss beautiful. Um, mm-hmm. Like the movie was good. It was good. I liked it. Um, but like her performance, I don't think I've ever seen her play that kind of role. Uh, and it was just <laughs> I loved it. It was so good. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I definitely haven't seen her play that kind of role. So that was fun. Um, I have been watching TV wise. I said I should watch that one again. That's it. yeah. It was no. literally like it was one of those ones that me and Jared and Dad watched when we were renting movies from Blockbuster when I was like sixteen. You know. It well, was it was up for only May time. on Criterion. So if you want to watch it, you could watch it today or tomorrow. <laughs> um, that was part of why I watched it because I haven't actually seen it streaming. It'll be Let's see. Yeah. What have I been watching? I TV wise, um, I've been watching The Nevers. Um, which I probably brought up. I was wondering if you were watching that. Yeah, the, the new, the new Whedon sort of. Yes, but project. only for a minute, and then it's going to yeah, be taken over by someone else. Um, I've heard good things, and I thought about starting it, but I, I haven't haven't dipped into it. I I liked it. I I didn't love it. I will say that, like, as someone who who like just worshipped the ground Whedon walked on for most of my like formative years, and now has different feelings. Um, it, it actually felt like weirdly like a punch to the gut, like even though I knew like at the end of the first episode where it said like written and directed by Joss Whedon, I was surprised at how much I like physically reacted to that. See, I hadn't I had not known that it was him. I'd been seeing ads for it on HBO and they have completely removed his name yeah. from all of that shit. So I hadn't realized it was him until I saw people talking about it after it had already started airing. Some really great performances, though, and I think it's an interesting world and I'm looking forward to see someone else play in it. Um, so I hope. I hope it'll be good. I don't know. We'll see. I have been watching the new Walker show on CW, which I am weirdly very into. The what? Like Walker, Walker Texas Ranger? Ranger reboot. Oh, my God. With Jared Padalecki, who Jared. I hate. I have always hated Jared Padalecki. It's not. Isn't that dude like 60 now? I mean, Supernatural like, has been going since the 80s. So Supernatural he is done right. now. This is what he moved on to after Supernatural. He is in his 40s, I believe. He's a little bit older than me. Um, but that's okay, because in this one, he is playing a dad of teenagers, so he is actually the right age for what he yeah. is playing. Um, and part of the thing, I mean, Padalecki, I have hated Padalecki since Gilmore Girls. He is, Dean is, like, the worst fucking boyfriend. And I hated him so much that I just, like, could not watch him in other things. Um, but I am just a fucking sucker for a dorky dad. I don't know. Um, and his, you know, his wife gets killed in the first episode. Of course. And so... So it's it's a lot about this family like dealing with with what happened and and him like dealing with his grief and all of this stuff. But like his wife, who comes back in flashbacks and various things, is played by his actual wife, and he, she is the only person I have ever seen Jared Padalecki have any kind of romantic chemistry with. <laughs> they are extremely oh. cute together, and I have never felt that way about him with anyone else. Okay. So maybe he should only play opposite his wife always. Um, okay. But the kids are really great. I don't know. It's like it should not be as good as it is. Like I'm not saying it's like groundbreaking, incredible television, but it is like totally solid TV. 
but like should not be that good. And I am, I am enjoying it. Um, also have been watching in lieu of being in love with dorky dads, the new Superman show on CW is actually genuinely extremely good. Um, and I, yeah, you mentioned that. So, um, and then I started watching the fall. I think I'm on the last season now, maybe the, uh, how many seasons were there? That there were three, um, like three, you know, three to five episodes each. Mm -hmm. Um, I like it. I mean, it's mostly, I'm mostly there for Jillian Anderson, but you know, it's, it's, it's good. The new season of high school musical, the musical series is back. Sure. Uh, my children are back with me, and I'm so thrilled to see them. Uh, they are a delight, always. Um, also, of course, one of my children has just released a truly excellent, like, I mean, you know, whatever. This is not, like, breaking news. Everyone's fucking listening to Olivia Rodrigo right now. But um, just genuinely phenomenal album that just has, like, a real sk- She has a real skill for specificity <laughs> in language, and I feel a little bad for her ex-boyfriend, who... It seems that all signs point to are still uh, is still her co-star on the show. Oh. <laughs> so awkward, maybe. But the album oh. is great, um, and the show is just a pure fucking delight. And I'm not selling this to Joel because he is a cynic who hates children. But um, for those of you, <laughs> for those of you who may not be, both true but unrelated. I think. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, for those of you who may not be and who may think to yourself, well, I, I don't care for the original High School Musical series. First off, maybe rewatch the original High School Musical series. But even if you don't, that's fine. The mov- the show really is nothing like the movies and is really a much more like the movies are movies that were made for like eight to ten year olds. Right. And this is a show that really feels like it is somewhat at least made for teenagers. Um, and it is just a delight. And they are so sweet and good. And I love them. Um. And I have been watching The Nanny on HBO, which I know that I saw sometimes growing up. Um, but I've been enjoying it mostly on a rewatch. It's It's got a lot of the same issues that a lot of 90s uh, sitcoms have, but it does also have some like genuinely extremely funny <laughs> lines. So whatever. Uh, the second season of Everything's Gonna Be Okay is playing right now, uh, and everyone should watch it. It's... Um, I, I think it's a criminally underwatched show. Uh, I don't love it as much as Eric. Eric has never loved anything as much as he has loved Everything's Gonna Be Okay, I don't think. Um, but it's up on Hulu, and it's just it's just so sweet and good. And they got people who actually had autism to play the autistic characters. And it's just, it's really, really, really good. <laughs> um, I talked about Mare of Easttown. Um, Eric and I have been watching Infinity Train on HBO. We just finished season two of that. They're like 10 minute episodes. It's like this. It's a fuck me. What do you, what do you call? What do you call the type of show? Like American Horror Story where it's like different. An anthology. An anthology show. Yes. It's an anthology yeah. cartoon. Um, each season has 10 episodes and it is, it is really creative and interesting and inclusive and good and um, totally worth checking out. Uh, so is that? I've never heard of that one. And then the only other thing I'm going to mention is that Mona and Allison and I have been watching, well, we were watching um, a reality dating, the first season of Are You the One from MTV, which is mostly pretty skeevy. But um, the other thing that we have been watching is the show, and it's only on Showtime. I think the first season was on Prime for a while because the second season was coming out, but I don't think it is anymore. But if you happen to have Showtime, it's called Couples Therapy. Ah, uh, yes, I've heard great things about this show. It's yeah. honestly fucking fantastic. I, I think like, uh, Dave Chen is a big supporter of this yes, show. He, yes, yeah. And it's it's so good. It's so good. I've never seen therapy like 
put forward like this in such a way that feels both like real and not like so essentially it's like you get I think it's four couples in the first season and they they went through like thousands of couples to try I, I read about the background of it because like I can understand people feeling a little iffy about the premise um, yeah. and Orna who is the uh, who is the therapist and who is just amazing like she just does fucking incredible work um but like she she was really hesitant about the idea, but they went through they went through like thousands of different people to make sure that anyone they found, you know, that there wasn't like a drug problem or like a sex abuse problem in the home or like, you know, like that, that what they were dealing with was like relationship issues that were not about these bigger things that it would really be unethical to show um, on television. And then they designed the set so that there are cameras, but you can't see them. Um, and of course, you know, obviously they know their cameras, but like, so, so they're not like intrusive in the process. Um, and they, they paid them to do the therapy. So they were not paying for this experience. Um, and it's honestly, it's just, it's so good. And I think that one of the things that makes it, that makes it feel less problematic than it might otherwise feel to me is that not only do we see Orna working with these different couples, but we also see Orna working with her supervisor and talking about and being vulnerable herself and talking about like her feelings about these things and what she feels like she should be doing or isn't doing or whatever. And so it feels like she is also sharing like a vulnerability factor. Um, it's just fucking great though. Uh, I believe season two just ended. We are not quite done with season one yet. Um, but I just, I just, I just really recommend it. Especially, honestly, if anyone's like, what would like really good couples therapy look like? Like, what would this like, like, honestly, I think this is probably like one of the first times that I've ever seen a show or a movie or whatever where they do therapy. And I'm like, oh shit, like she, like they're doing therapy and she's doing it really well. Like she's doing like, right. such a good job. So it's, it's amazing. So if, if you have access to it, I, I, I super recommend it. Hmm. Um, or if you want to get a, you know, it's 30 minute episodes. They're like, there's two seasons. So it's not a, it's not like a huge time commitment, but it's very yeah. cool. Anyway, I think that is probably all that I need to talk about. And we have been talking for such a long time. Yeah. We're just over two hours here. So. <laughs> it's okay. It'll, it'll get cut down <laughs> anyway. Um, cool. Well, I guess that we will see you all next time when we talk about Boondock Saints. <laughs> yep. Okay. Bye, everyone. Bye. <laughs>